All right, let's get going. Man, of all, uh, all nights to be here, you guys are here tonight. I want to start here, uh, hashtag Christian cuss words, if you can put that up for me. Um, a lot of words that are used in Christendom that um, have become taboo, that are seen almost like uh, cuss words in the Christian church. So I know most of you didn't grow up in the 90s, uh, but one of the biggest Christian cuss words I've ever experienced is this word, contemporary. So when like, Lord, I lift your name on high began to get popular in the late 80s, early 90s, and churches started to make the shift from an organ to, uh, God forbid, a guitar, uh, churches started to say things like, so we're going to do a contemporary service, or we're going to worship uh, with contemporary music. And for anyone who, you know, I know, again, I know some of you guys weren't even a thought at that point, but for those of us that were, like, if you said that in a church, I'm serious, like, people, people died over the word contemporary, okay? What? You're going to do contemporary music? No, you are Satan. You need to leave right now. You know, like, it was, it, was that, it was that heinous of a crime at times, right? It's interesting to me that now some people say that, they, that their church has contemporary worship, and I always correct them. I'm like... Okay, so you know what you're saying, right? You know you're saying your music is from 1995 because we don't call our music contemporary anymore. You know what I'm saying? There's lots of other words for it, you know, maybe indie or something, but certainly not contemporary, okay? It has a Y at the end, but that's about it, all right? The second Christian cuss word is, uh, it starts with an M, it's money. I recognize a lot of us have baggage, okay? But any, any time in the confines of the church, somebody starts talking about the dollar bill, Things start getting a little tense, okay? And I get it, right? Like you've been watching uh, a particular Christian show on a particular network, and the message was, hey, look, if you really want healing, send us 100 bucks, and I'm sure God's going to do, you know, do a massive work in your life. So we've, like, we've attributed some nastiness to money. We've heard the prosperity gospel uh, in the church, maybe for you. Anytime someone starts teaching on giving, the go-to teacher or the go-to uh, text or understanding for uh, those of us who communicate God's word is Jesus taught on money more than just about any other topic, but it still doesn't seem to resolve itself. How many of you guys get angry when people talk about money? Anybody? Okay. There you go. Right there. You're angry right now. Thank you, Tim Osri. All right. And finally, and I think most significantly, the S word, submission. You start talking about wives submitting to their husbands? And oh my dear goodness, I mean the claws come out, like the, you know, the, the bite the lip anger comes out, and maybe you're not privy to this, but I have seen more debate on this issue alone than just about any other practical issue in the church. And so many, uh, so many of you right now are you like, oh, we're going to talk about wives submitting to their husbands, that's, that's pretty lame, I'm like 19 years old and have barely thought about being married. You don't understand. Can I, can I tell you something right now? I was not learning about submission when I was 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. If someone just would have taught, both Heidi and I, my wife now, if they would have sat us down and took us through biblically what submission was, it would have been so incredibly helpful. But because it's a Christian cuss word, because there's a lot of room for debate in it, it appears People have shied away. As you know, we don't shy away. We're not going to do it tonight. Okay, many of you guys grew up in homes, very, very broken. 
where your dad wasn't leading spiritually, your mom certainly wasn't submitting in Christ. So the reality is many of you have a misguided understanding of the biblical truth because of your experience. So tonight, collectively, I want to say we've got a lot of experience in this room. Those of us who have been married, you know the pitfalls, the failings, and the joys. Those of you who aren't, maybe you grew up in a home where this wasn't modeled biblically. And so all of us tonight get the chance to come together as the we and journey through it. And and that's what I want to make sure you understand. The blessing of church community versus a service is that church community gets to come together Hear God's word on an issue and then journey through it together. Uh, So many of you potentially have just like come to a church service. And then you'll leave here with no context of community. And I just want to remind you again, like on Sundays, we have 21 law families that meet for the purpose of taking this teaching tonight and journeying through it through their circumstances, stories, uh, struggles, and, and joys. So tonight, as the we, as the body of Christ... We're going to strap on our seatbelt and journey through biblical submission. You guys ready to go? This is going to be crazy, all right? So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to study one verse tonight. Ah, verse. Not going to have to travel far. One verse tonight, okay? Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Check this out. Wives, submit to your husbands... As is fitting in the Lord. <laughs> um, so, if you, like, I've never seen this uh, verse tattooed on any woman, right? <laughs> right? It's always like agape or, you know, some cool, like, dove coming out of a tree or something, right? Uh, all kinds of other Greek words that are cool and hip nowadays. I've never seen, like, Colossians 3.18 on some chick's, like, inner bicep, you know? Um, and maybe tonight... Through this journey, you're going to get a little bit of a different perspective. So naturally, as you would, we're going to start in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Because we're going to teach on the wives submitting to the husband. It seems appropriate to start with Jesus in the garden. (laughs) No one has ever started here, but we are. Here we go. And he came, Matthew 26, to Jesus, to the disciples, and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could uh, could you not watch with me one hour? Okay, I've taught this before. I mean, Jesus has just said before this, I'm sorrowful even to death. The Christ has said this to the disciples, and they can't stay awake. He says, verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. Look at this. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He's talking about going to the cross. He said he's sorrowful even to death. He realizes and is fully God, fully manness, the weight of the sin of the world. And he says, your will be done. Jesus submits to the Father. And so right away you're like, okay, so are you saying like our husbands are like God and we're like Jesus? No, okay? Bear with me one more second. Check this out in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, says the red letters, Jesus, and I know then, and they, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Somebody see this. I and the Father are what? Are one. 
So Jesus says, I submit to the Father, but Jesus also says that I and the Father are one. So if we're going to take some implications from that, again, some of you are like, so does that mean our marriage is like the, tr- the, the duality, like not the Trinity, minus, like the Trinity minus one? No. Okay, here's what I want to say on this. Next slide, a biblical summary of the roots of submission as a wife. Let's say this, number one. Check this out. I hope this makes sense. Submission does not imply inferiority, which is the biggest misnomer of this teaching. Some women, most wives, believe that somehow, because the man is called to lead the home, because the man is called uh, to guide the home spiritually, because the wives are called to submit that it's an issue of inferiority, that God has seen the males as superior. But we just saw you can submit and still be what? Still be one. Okay, in Genesis, in the beautiful text, the scripture says that a man should leave his father and mother and the woman should do the same, and the two will become what? One flesh. So in our marriage, we become one flesh. We become one, but there is equality in the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't diminish roles. It doesn't diminish what God has set up for the man and the woman. But it it sets up this non-inferior complex. Now, uh, women, we haven't helped you. I want to share some of those ways. Okay, Uh, If you're a guy here, you understand this. Uh, Number one. Uh, The greatest, single most steering piece of our entire culture is the female body. The female body can steer millions upon millions upon millions of men. And so we haven't helped you ladies. Because what we've done as men is we have put your beauty, your body, your being in an idolatrous place, not just in our heart or our mind, but literally across the culture. And so in like your understanding of that and your understanding of who you are and you're wrestling with your identity, then there's this massive temptation just to feed into that. And so we haven't helped you there. The other way we haven't helped you is... Again, some of you guys came from abusive homes. Some of you guys came from homes where, where your father was very uh, verbally inept, where he uh, continually uh, degraded uh, your, your mom. You, you grew up in, in a home where uh, you understood submission in this very authoritative, domineering kind of fashion. And so you built in your mind, well, I guess that's just the role of the man. No, no, no. Tonight we get a chance to see it reformed. Okay? So, not inferior on the same plane. But, next slide. Let's go to Genesis, shall we? This will be fun. Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Something has happened between then and me because I'm not a good, like, I'm not a good gardener. But Adam must have been at least called by God. I want to make sure you understand, the man was created first. There's no Eve at this point. The scripture says that man was created from dust. And then the Lord God commanded the man, look at this, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely, what's the word? You're going to die. So he creates the man first, and then he commands the man. He gives the man instructions. 
He gives the man a framework for how it is that he's to exist. Well, then look what happens. One of my favorite verses in the scripture, verse 18 of Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for that man to be alone. Amen. Like every dude in this place should be like, glory be to God, right? Thank you for this moment in the scripture, right? Thank you, God. So God looks at Adam. He's like, all right, right? And it's not, that, it's not that he didn't, you know, he just knew it wasn't good. Like everything up to this point had been good. This is the first time in the scripture that it's recorded that something is not good. He looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so in that moment, from Adam's rib, he creates the, the woman. I did a youth conference one time and I called it dust and ribs because man was created from dust, a woman from ribs. It was really, I'd like to do that again. It was kind of fun. Dust and ribs. We had shirts and stuff. And like ribs. Um. The Lord God said in verse 18, it is not good for the man, uh, uh, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Okay, and and some people at this argument are like, yeah, but Genesis 2, I don't know, scripturally it kind of seems weird. Like, are we sure that Adam was created first? Are we sure that that's a biblical context? Uh, Let's just, let's look at Paul, like hundreds of years later. Here's what he says, just to make it clear. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, 1 Timothy 2, okay? So just to, just to clear up any kind of confusion, hundreds of years later, Paul's like, yeah, Adam was made first, okay? So that has implications on the male role in the home, in the male role in marriage. It has implications on the kind of man, women in this room, that you're looking for. Let's say this in uh, number two here as we're looking at the roots. Man is made before woman and man is given instructions from God. He gives instructions before Eve was even made. And the implication is that Adam was to relay those instructions to Eve. So Adam was to take Eve aside as the leader of his home, very small home at this point, but the leader of his home nonetheless, and say, hey, Eve, Here's what God has instructed us to do. And apparently he did that. Apparently uh, Adam did take Eve aside. And I want to show you how. Here's what happens in Genesis 3, that crafty little sly snake. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Now listen, I want you to see something unbelievable in this text. Anytime this text is taught, typically what is seen is that the enemy is trying to deceive, take God's words and shift them, which is certainly true. But I want you to understand something else. What does the enemy try to do at the very origination of sin? What does he try to do? He tries to confuse gender roles. At the very beginning of the entrance of sin, into this world. He takes gender roles and he doesn't go to the head of the home. He goes to the woman and he wants to create gender confusion. He wants the woman in this case to rule the home and he wants to deceive the woman because he knows the man uh, can, can maybe even at times be very easily led astray. Isn't it interesting that at the origination of this, Satan's attack is to confuse the gender roles. And I'm telling you, it has not stopped. From this point on until Jesus comes back, and by the way, steps on the head of the serpent, which he will, praise God, until that time, we are forever going to be in a battle. 
Okay? Well, here's what happens. Next slide. They eat of the, uh, they eat of the fruit, and then look what happens. The Lord God called to the what? He called to the what? Come on. I can't make this say something else. Okay, the Hebrew here is man. It's not multiple. It's not plural. God first calls out to Adam, to the man. And he said to him, where are you? As if God doesn't know. Right? Listen, I feel like you dudes tonight, you you absolutely 100% need to hear this question. Where are you? Are you the kind of man, for lack of a better term, that is worth submitting to? Those of you guys who are not married, building towards that, some in relationships, some not. Is the word of Christ and the spirit dwelling in you, forming you to be that man? That subservient to Jesus is serving your home. Are you being prepared? I just want to ask you, where are you? There's so many dudes in this room right now that think you have time. It's like, come on, dude. Like, marriage is a long way off. Like, I'm majoring in Halo right now. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> marriage. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. That's actually the problem. The problem is you think you have time. And I want to tell you this right now. I talk to woman after woman after woman, and they long to see men who love Jesus more than anything else. And instead, they're seeing large percentages of dudes that are way more interested in serving their flesh than they are serving the king. And there's times I just have to pray for women. I'm like, look, I, I know they're out there. And so let's keep praying that they'll, that they'll emerge from their lack of maturity to own their call now as someone who would be submitted to in Christ. He calls to the man first. Okay? Look what happens. Not good. Okay? Uh, previous slide. A lot of text to go. He said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. That's what Adam says about God. Isn't that cool? Have you ever wondered like, what the sound of God moving through the garden would look like? Unbelievable. And Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. <laughs> Look what God says. Who told you that you were naked? <laughs> right? Like now we know fully when we're naked. Okay? Pun intended. Like we, we, just, we just know. Like when we're naked, we, we know we're naked. But, but Adam was created naked. And because of his shame, now all of a sudden he realizes it. And so God's like, who, t- who told you you were naked? Like, I didn't, that's not even a term yet, you know? Okay? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God asked Adam. Look what he says. The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. It's your problem, God. Like, I don't know what you did, but I don't know, man. She really misguided me. God, I mean, she's, she's your problem. You made her. You took her. Maybe we need to try another rib. Like, let's put her back. You know? Let's give it another shot. See what happens, God. Right? And you kind of picture this moment where, like, Adam's looking up at God like, hey, man, let's, we can do this without her. Right? That's just, he passes the buck. Look what the woman does. Okay? Uh, then the Lord God said to the woman, he doesn't leave the woman out. Okay? The woman needs to be held accountable as well. Uh, what is this that you have done? Which tells you what? Adam had relayed the information. He had instructed his wife. Okay? If not, God wouldn't have held her accountable. But she must have known the command, known the instruction. 
What is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. No one takes responsibility. Everyone passes the buck. And what we have here is a couple in complete disarray. So let's say it this way in the text. Number three. Though both the man and the woman are held accountable by God for their sin, God approaches the man first. Again, this is not a... um, a structure of chauvinism. This is a calling directed by God literally from the beginning of man that man would be created in the image of God, that God would, uh, that, that God would instruct the man, that that man would then instruct his family, and in a very serving, loving, gracious way, guide his family, his wife, his maybe future children, if God so deems fit, towards the person of Christ. Now some of you are like, but what if I never get married? What if these things don't happen? What if, you know, what if I, I spend my life in singleness? It doesn't matter in all these ways. The way that God has made you is to be subservient and submissive to Him, period. And so we have to wrestle with these things. We have to learn these things. Okay. The next slide, I want to show you guys this. I hope this will be helpful. Uh, after verse 18 in Colossians 3, there's other texts Because some people are like, oh, yeah, Mark, that's nice, Colossians 3.18. But that's the only place in Scripture. No, check this out. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the the conduct of their wives. In other words, some of you grew up in homes with non-believing dads. Some of you are married right now to non-believing husbands. And so the implications of, of this text in 1 Peter is that is that by submitting towards the person of Christ in obedience to Jesus that, that you will even be a portrayal of the gospel to your unbelieving husband, okay? Uh, later, certainly in Ephesians chapter 5, a powerful text, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Uh, Let me say it this way. Ladies here in the room, first of all, everything that's about ready to happen is out of deep love and care for you. Again, and I've never been a girl, but... um, I wish someone would have taught this. I wish someone would have sat me down and just said, Mark, here's what this means biblically. So I want to take all of that and I want to put it in two very clear statements about what biblical submission is and what it's not. Okay? So please hear this, ladies. Your husband is not your master. He's not a slave trader. Okay? He's not to grab you by the hair and like some caveman barbarian, pull you along in his life. He's not your master. You are not his slave. He's also not your idol. I'll tell you this right now, those in dating relationships, those married, those not. When that man begins to sit in your heart on the throne, when God gets dethroned, when you're more interested in looking beautiful for your man and less interested in pursuing Christ, then your man has become your comfort, he's become your joy, he's become your pursuit. Heidi and I struggle with this. 
Uh, There was a time and a season where I was not shepherding her well. And where I, like she really wanted me to be Jesus. And what happened is I just kept falling short and kept reminding her consistently. Like I'm not, I'm not Christ, but she kept wanting me to be. And ultimately what, was, what became a reality is she had become idolatrous that I could be for her what only Jesus can. That man will never, ever, ever be for you what only Jesus can be. You may think he'll get there or you may think one day he'll be able to fill that role. Listen, by nature, he will never. So dethrone him off your heart. Instead, share in the love of King Jesus and put that man in his rightful place. And so many ladies tonight just absolutely need to hear that word. And for some of you, it's not the man that you have right now. It's the idea of the man that you will have. He's already become an idol. You like have journal pages and journal pages and journal pages and like stick pictures. Right? Like this will be the man and this is how he'll be. And this, and you're so consumed with the thought of what the man will be instead of the creator, the one who will make the man. He's not your master. He's not your idol. And please somebody, he's not, a last slide, he's not your primary means by which you'll encounter Christ ever. Can I, can I say something? Listen, the sexiest that my wife ever is, and she's pretty dang hot outside of that, but the sexiest... The sexiest that she is is when she's pursuing Jesus. You're like, Mark, that kind of seems strange. I don't you know. I don't... <laughs> You're saying your wife is sexy when she's reading the word? That's exactly what I'm saying. When I catch my wife re- reading the word, I'm like, man, this, Bonnie, you like this? Yes, like this is awesome. Why? Because, because she's pursuing Christ. That's ultimately what I long for her in all things. It's not first to please me or first to make me happy or first to be a great wife. I long for her to know that one day this beauty physically is going to go away. In my eyes, of course, she'll always be beautiful, even when she's 85 with dementia and somewhat, you know, wrinkles and stuff. Like, I'll still see her as beautiful, but from the world's perspective, the beauty will go away. But the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Why? Because that's what makes a woman beautiful. And I'm telling you, dudes, if you're not there, if you're like, yeah, not so much. Like, I actually, I, I'll tell you what makes a woman beautiful, Mark. Will you now? And you know what? The kind of Christian woman that you're going to get is not the one who's in love with Jesus. I wish every woman in the room just heard this right now. If you want a man that loves Jesus more than you, then be a woman that loves Jesus more than him. Because like attract alike in terms of the gospel. Now on the other side, here's what your husband is. He is the leader of your home. Biblically, we've seen this. Clearly, scripturally, it's there. There's all kinds of implications, some of which we'll talk about here in a second. That Your husband is the leader of your home. Of it, listen, this is why we have such a passion, this church in this city, for the single mother. Because there's so many young men, young women, that are growing up with no father to carry his biblical role in the home. And the reality is, there's so many Christian dads and Christian husbands that are living like he's not there. Why? Because work has become everything for them. Uh, because your dad was like this... Um, 
Listen, my dad, he's the CEO of a company that last year sold $1 billion worth of stuff. I certainly have learned uh, many things from him. He's a great business leader. He's worked his way up, as it were. Okay. But let me make sure you understand something. If you think that your primary role as a man will be or is now to put food on the table, you are gravely mistaken. And this is a big struggle. You start looking at some little chitlins, you see your wife, and the pressure to provide for your family is heavy. But the greater weight is always to not deprive your family of what they need in Christ. The nourishment that comes from God's word in leading your family. And that's why I'm, I'm saying, dudes in this room, it is such a blessing to be in community where discipleship is not just talked about, but where it exists. Why? Because you must Grow so that when you get married, you can actually nourish your woman spiritually. Where you can encourage her with the word and you have the gumption to ask her the hard questions and actually talk about God's word. Some of you are in a dating relationship right now and talking about God's word is awkward. If it's awkward, it's time to leave. Why would you think that that's going to change if you can't talk about God's word on the first date? When do you think you're going to talk about it? You think you're going to loosen up to talking about Philippians 4.13? Heck no. On the first date, my friends. If the scripture isn't already pouring out, that's when I say get to stepping. And you're like, Mark, but, but come on, man. We can't, you can't be serious. No, why? You naturally talk about what you love. And so on the first date, if all that dude or all that girl talks about is themselves, then they naturally are talking about what they love, and that means they love them. But what about the girl who sits down across from a dude, and the dude's like, hey, I'm, I'm Beavis, it's nice to meet you. Um. <laughs> and literally, his like, first question after, man, it's really nice that you're here. Hey, so tell me about what you're learning in God's Word recently. Think about if that was the first question at Picasso's. The first date of everyone in St. Charles. <laughs> hey, let's go to Picasso's and we'll walk down by the river. And maybe we'll hold hands if I'm lucky, right? Like, that's the. <laughs> your husband is the leader of your home. Look at this. The servant, the servant by which you serve alongside of. Every facet of the man is serving. Again, not domineering, not authoritative in a chauvinistic way, but in a servant way. A servant by which you serve alongside of, and look at this, and the man called to communicate to you in word and deed, the same phrase we use in discipleship, come follow me as together we follow Christ. That is the biblical call of a man and therefore the biblical call of a woman to submit to. Come follow me as together we follow Jesus. I have to wake up every single day with three kids and a wife looking at me, and I have to say every single day, despite all my flesh and all my failings, say, listen, family, come follow me as together we follow Christ. And that call is daunting. I get tired and I get lazy. And there's nights that I know I should lead family worship and I don't. And so I want to bring you into the struggle. If you're like, Mark, I'm so far from this. Welcome. That's why we're here. But I realized I'm not a woman. So it's, it's one thing to talk from my perspective. And it's a whole other thing to talk to some practitioners, some females. 
So I've invited three very dear friends in different seasons of life to come and share with you guys tonight on their struggles, on their journey, on their joys of what it looks like to submit. And one of those girls has just been married, another one long been married, and another one kind of in that mid-season. So could you guys please bring up my good friends, Jen, Connie, and Bree. Come on, bring them up. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was telling these ladies uh, before that um, we've never, ever done this before. And so I was like, we, yeah, we've never done this. And they're like, oh, great. Um, thanks for that. So e- each of these three ladies, maybe you can tell just by them, they're in three different seasons of life. And uh, so the first thing I really want each of you guys to do, because all three of you have very unique perspectives on the issue of submission Bring us into your story. Bring us into your journey. Like, walk us through, walk these guys through some of the joy, struggles, passions that you have in that. Jen, how about you first? My name's Jen, and uh, my husband's name is Jason. We've been married for almost 17 years in October, so now I feel really old. Um, but I just want to bring you into a, just a piece of our marriage, um, a struggle that we kind of went through, and just kind of how submission plays into that. And um, we had been married about seven years. And we decided that it was time to start our family. So about a year and a half went by, and we had no success. And I became super discouraged and fearful um, that I wouldn't be able to be a mom. So in a panic, and we all know that girls panic really, really easily. Say it ain't so. (laughs) Yes, it's true. (laughs) Um, I made an appointment with a doctor, even though my husband really wasn't on board with me. Um, For whatever reason, he just wasn't ready to go forward with the process of infertility options. So for the next few months, I um, went to some appointments trying to figure things out. I wanted a baby. So one day, I finally found myself in the doctor's office waiting to find out if the pregnancy test was positive or negative. And um, I know there's a lot of people in here that are in college and young and all that, and maybe this isn't something that you can totally connect with, but we all have wanted something really bad. You know, everybody can connect with something that you've really wanted really bad in your life. And that was um, this for me. So uh, finally the nurse came in, and uh, I'd never met her before. And she walked in and said, it's negative. You might want to read this. And it was a brochure, and at the top, in all caps, it said, infertility. And I was devastated. I was all alone. And suddenly it occurred to me that I had run ahead of my husband He wasn't there, and here I was at this dead end, and I had left him somewhere back in the dust. So the Lord really began to work in my heart, and he really just began to tell me, you need to wait. Um, He called me to wait, and he was asking me to really submit to him and to his timing. So submitting to God meant submitting to my husband, and that meant following my husband's lead. The truth was he just wasn't ready to move forward with all the treatments. So I began to pray. And so for many months, I prayed that God would align his heart with mine and that Jason would be the one to bring up the topic. I cried many tears and suffered much heartache. And um, if anybody here is in the room and you've gone through infertility, you know what kind of heartache I'm talking about. It's very heavy. So after many, many months, um, there was a Sunday where we went to church, and it was just like any other Sunday. Basically, I noticed all the kids running around in the lobby, and the only thing that I saw were moms carrying babies. 
And um, after church, we got in the car, and my husband handed me a piece of paper. And on the paper was written the name of a doctor, um, infertility doctor, and his phone number. And I was like, what is this? And he said, I got a referral from a friend. So I was overjoyed, obviously. Um, he was ready, and I was overjoyed. And so that was the fall of 2006. By 2007, September, I was pregnant. On May 16, 2008, I gave birth to my beautiful twin boys, Colin and Max. And I'm, some of you guys have probably met them here. Um, you know, I've always thought about the waiting time, and I always thought that it was like when, J when Jason's heart needed to be changed, but I was, as I was preparing for this and praying, I realized that really it was about my heart that needed to be changed. I was used to getting my way. I was a firstborn, and I pretty much did what I wanted and was always great at whatever I um, attempted. And so um, God removed me from the throne, as Mark kind of talked about, and he showed me my pride, my self-reliance, my lack of trust. And uh, I'm so glad that he did that for me. I'm so glad that he told me to wait. Amen. That's good. Thanks, Sharon. Yeah. That's awesome. <clears throat> so, Bree, you graduated from Lindenwood when? What, how long so ago? So, I went to Lindenwood but graduated from nursing school That's right. That's in 2013. Right. You were at we got married five days later. Okay. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, a year and a half. So, like, catch, catch us up with your story and where you're at and all this. Yeah, so um, just a little background. I was raised by a single mom um, and wasn't raised in the church. I was saved when I went to college at Lindenwood. Um, and uh, fast forward a little while, I met Luke, my husband, now of a year and a half, um, like my junior year of college. And we started dating, and it was um, right from the start. We shared a super deep um, just passion for the Word of God, for theology and doctrine. And I thought this is going to be, you know, I knew kind of what Mark was talking about. It was it was the real deal. So um, we were dating um, and kind of were working through what it looked like because, um, you know, Scripture doesn't say girlfriends submit to your boyfriend. So we kind of were working through what that looked like. Didn't really figure it out. Um, a year and a half after dating, we got engaged, and five months later, we were married. So by that point, I thought, like, you know, God had made me a helper, you know, that I was fit to help Luke. And um, I, was, I was wrong in that. Um, and I was, um, thought I was ready to submit. And I struggled at first um, because I had all these expectations for Luke, and I held him to the standard that only God could fill um, this void in my heart. And I thought we'd, you know, be on our knees every night, and we'd be be really regimented in our in our word time and prayer. And um, though he pursued me fervently, it, it was never enough. Um, and so I found myself really angry um, and bitter and demanding all things that, if you know me, weren't who I was before. And I thought marriage is doing this horrible thing to me, and though marriage isn't for our happiness, it's for our holiness, I still was just, you know, finding myself super kind of depressed for a season, um, and in kind of pursuing the Lord in that, um, I came to First uh, Peter 3, and it just talks about how a wife with a gentle and quiet spirit is unpleasing um, to the Lord um, and is precious to God, um, and in that, I kind of went through this... Um, transformation in my heart of um, just kind of giving Luke over to God, knowing that um, that the Lord would do as he willed and pleased um, with him, and that I could trust whatever he had in store for us. Um, and so I started to notice how Luke was leading out um, in areas such as like our finances and, um, you know, men, you're called to lead your wives, not just spiritually, but financially, emotionally, um, physically, everything. And so um, I started to see that and my eyes were open just to the ways that the Lord had um, 
prepared um, him for me. And so um, we've gotten to a point now where we're still working through it. Um, only a year and a half in. I don't know that we'll ever perfect it, but um, that's kind of a little yeah, tidbit into it. Thanks, Bree. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's awesome. So, first of all, this is Connie, a dear friend. Connie is the mom of Brandon Castle, our worship leader. So, just to give you some perspective, and when, when she starts sharing, like, you'll, you'll know... Like that Brandon came from some, some really good momhood, okay? Um, but Connie, you represent, you know, the seasoned folks here. Uh, you certainly have a unique story. So br- bring these guys in to your journey through submission. Yeah, my story is uh, unique from the other girls. Um, submission was not something I even understood. It was a foreign word to me. Um, I was not raised in a Christian home. And I was not a Christian when I married my first husband. Uh, Four years later, we both came to know the Lord. And that's when submission became a club to beat me over the head. Um, It became his justification for every selfish decision and for controlling every part of my life. He was the head of the family, and I was to submit. I didn't respond well to that. And the more he demanded, the more I dug in my heels. Um, Our marriage was um, just full of anger and disrespect and violence. And so 20 years after uh, we married, we were divorced. We were married for 20 years. And then I married my husband, Tim. And Tim is a godly man and a wonderful husband. And I began to see this beautiful picture of Jesus and his bride, uh, the church. Uh, Tim leads a... Um, sacrificial life. He loves me sacrificially, uh, protecting me and providing for me. And he leads not by demanding, but by serving. He makes it so easy for me to fulfill the uh, design that God has for women in Genesis, that we would be the helpmates of our husband. Um, As I um, adapt my life to his, encouraging him, supporting him, and doing all that I can to help him to be a good leader. That's good. Thanks for sharing that. I know for each of you guys. My guess is, like, again, the perspective of if you could have, if you could have heard some of these things, you know, Connie, for you, like, whatever, 30 years ago, how helpful some of this would have been. So I'm so grateful for you guys sharing this. I've asked these three to, like, define submission in your own words. Again, you know, you're, um, not authorities on the subject, still journeying through it, but your practitioners. So share with us in your own words your definition of biblical submission. Um, for me, biblical submission is abiding in Christ alongside my husband, who is also abiding in Christ, and following his lead as he's leading our family and also helping him as he's living out um, his mm. calling on his life. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, Brie, what would you add to that? So I kind of touched on it, but um, just um, trusting Luke into in God's hands, knowing that he, you know, the Lord is going to um, deal with his sin and his struggle and his shortcomings and his failures, and realizing that he's going to fail me, um, but I have a God that doesn't fail um, and that is consistent in pursuing my heart um, and that rejoices over me um, consistently, um, and 
Also, one thing that I was thinking about was before I would try to be Luke's kind of sanctifier. I would want to kind of call him out, and, and I would use it under the umbrella of it was in love, um, and that, that just wasn't submission for me, um, and it's, it was a definite heart thing. Um, but so, yeah, so just submission for me is just trusting him in God's hands. Amen. Yeah. What about you, Connie? And uh, for me, submission is God's loving plan for women. And I know that's not usually what most people think of when they think of submission. And I wouldn't have said that either in my first marriage. I saw submission as a heavy burden and a requirement. And then being married to Tim, um, who I talk a lot about, um, and seeing just his servant leadership really helped me to see that submission really is a gift. Hmm. Uh, when it's lived out the way that God has planned, it's a loving protection for a woman. Uh, there's a beautiful scripture in Hosea 11.4 that captures that thinking. And this is God speaking to his um, people. He says, I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. I think this is what I saw in Tim, and I was drawn to submit to him because of love. Mm. Uh, in the very same way, the Lord loves his love and kindness draws us to submit to him and to our husbands. Mm. That's good. Really cool just hearing the different perspectives. So you got one shot tonight just to exhort these women. Um, again, so many of them looking at you, and, and the years are far ahead of them. But if you could say some words to both some marrieds here and, and some that are, are journeying towards that, what would you say? Give them some, some words of encouragement. Um, well, three years ago, um, I was depressed. I was stressed. Um, I was pretty much a mess. <laughs> that all rhymes. Didn't mean for that to rhyme. But I, um, and I literally was on the floor, like in a puddle. Um, just crying out to the Lord. I, you know, I had my twin boys, and they're wonderful and beautiful, but kids are stressful and family situations. Just life had really um, ca caught up with me. And so through some confession and counseling, um, prayer and support of friends, um, the Lord began to really call me to his word. And in Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, it says, Blessed is the man or woman who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and doesn't fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So he really uprooted me, and he planted me beside the streams. I was desperate and thirsty, and his word through the Holy Spirit really began to transform me. I began to see who God was in his word, his character, and we talk about that a lot here at Matthias. He was my Abba Father in Romans 8.15. He was my Redeemer in Job 19. I saw that for me it was good to be near God in Psalm 73, that his grace was sufficient for me in 2 Corinthians 12, that he is a God who sees in Genesis 17. He is my rock in Psalm 61, my deliverer in Psalm 18, my Savior in John 4, the King of kings and the Lord of lords in Revelation. So I began to know who my God was. And then I began to see who I was. I was bought with a price in 1 Corinthians 6. I was beloved, his child, a new creation, his workmanship. I'm no longer a slave, I'm free. 
I'm sealed by his Holy Spirit. I'm a servant of the God Most High. So that's who I am. And on top of that, he gave me some things, like the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Holy Spirit works through his word and through truth. And he gave me scriptures. He gave me Romans 15. It says that um, the scriptures were written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So I began to walk in truth, and I was planted by the streams, and then the Lord began to do what he really does best, which was deal with my sin. My anger, bitterness, jealousy, discontentment, mostly all related to my marriage. Confessing my sin and saying, yes, God, I agree with you. I see my sin too. So um, repentance and healing, it became a reality. And so my tree began to grow. My roots were deep. And um, just like Sarah um, with Abraham, she put her hope in God in First Peter it talks about. Um, she didn't put the hope in her husband to meet all of her needs. My adornment, which um, my time, my energy, my um, dependence became less and less on my husband and on my outward appearance. My loud opinions and my make myself knowns began, began to fade. Less and less of the future, it didn't really matter. It didn't matter how things really turned out. So Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Yes. That's what it was doing. It was teaching me. Um, it was admonishing me. Yes, the word was doing all that, the wisdom. I began to sing psalms. I began to sing hymns and spiritual songs, like the word says. I was thankful in my heart to God. And so as I let the word dwell in me, I began to learn who he was, who I am, and what he gave me. I mean, his word's a gold mine. And then this week, as I was talking about all this um, just to the Lord and thinking about it, I realized um, that Colossians verse 17, it says, Whatever you do, indeed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Um, I was thinking about who I was and who God was, and he gave me the word. And I just realized he gave me a wonderful husband. On top of all the things that he already did, he gave me this awesome shepherd, this husband who loves me, sacrifices for me, desperately wants to glorify God by leading his family well. Are you serious? He gave that to me. It's pretty awesome. He protects me, loves me, and he points me to Jesus. He did that for me. So verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands. I say yes. That's an easy answer. Whatever you do in word or deed, wives, submit to your husbands, yes. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, yes. That's easy. So submission, it's not a behavior. It's not something that you do. It's simply a fruit. It's a fruit of a tree that's rooted by the living water, the streams of living water. That's Jesus. Submission is saying yes to the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Thanks, John. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, to the women in here, college students who are longing, or older women just longing for a husband, and to the married women who are having dissatisfaction in their marriage, um, this is for everyone, and this is a word that I just cling to um, wholeheartedly. It's in Isaiah um, 54, and it says, your maker, capital M, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. So just cling to that. Um, that's what, um, just have that truth on your heart and in your mind.
That's good. Thanks, Bria. Yeah. Connie, how about for you? Yeah. Click that. Yeah, there you go. Good to go. You're set. You're good. When I was thinking about what I wanted to share uh, with the women on a submission, I think I first wanted to start with a uh, call for discernment. Uh, to single women who are dating, I would just ask you, is the man that you're dating someone that you want to submit to for the rest of your life? Uh, I would also say, is he someone who loves God first and foremost? Does he display more of the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Or is his life marked more by works of the flesh, sexual immorality, strife, jealousy, anger, just to name a few of those? Of course, none of us will live these things out perfectly, but are you growing in those things? Next to your salvation, there's nothing more important in your life than who you'll marry. Is this someone that you can live on mission with? And then I wanted to speak to the women in our church who are in abusive relationships. And in the early service, I addressed that to married women, but there was a young girl who came up to me afterwards who had been in an abusive relationship dating. So I just wanted to address this to all women who are in abusive relationships. Um, because of the abuse in my first marriage, my heart just goes out to those women. And I want to say loud and clear that abuse, name-calling, and threats are never part of submission. Amen. Because of my, uh, the secrecy and the shame that was in my life at that time, um, I uh, didn't deal with those things, and it took a long time to deal with those problems in my marriage. And I just want to encourage um, everyone here tonight who might be in an abusive situation to take a brave step tonight and to reach out for help. We have an amazing care and counseling pastor, Lonnie Taylor, and leaders who can help you and your husband to be healed and restored. Uh, just along the lines that Mark was talking about tonight, too, uh, just um, how important is it that the person that you're serving with for the rest of your life is somebody fully committed to Christ? Um, I, I work with, or I uh, have met with a woman that used to go to this church who was married to an unbeliever, and uh, her whole life was one of struggle where her whole love for Christ was done by herself. She'd attend church by herself functions by herself. They were never on the same page uh, because she had married an unbeliever. And so my heart is just to encourage you to, to seek the Lord first of all. Let him be your everything. And then look with, look with wisdom uh, for the person that you spend your life with. Amen. Um, I don't know if Lonnie is supposed to be here He'll tonight be here, yeah. too. Mm -hmm. um, we had uh, arranged for Lonnie to be up front for any women who might want to come up and uh, speak to someone if you're in an abusive relationship. Or if you don't feel comfortable with that, there's a number uh, that you can call and speak to someone. Mm. Can you guys thank my friends here tonight? Unbelievable job. Appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. Awesome. It's incredible. <clears throat> the kind of men that uh, we long to see um, being discipled in this church, the kind of young men that we long to see grow, 
are the kind of men that are interested in the growth of the women here. I've told multiple dudes that have come here and I found out that their uh, means of being here was to have sex with as uh, many girls as they could here. I told those men to leave and I will continue to do so. I've sat down in rooms with guys who I found out had sex with multiple uh, girls here. I gave them an opportunity to repent. They did not and I told them that I never want to see them in this body again. We're interested in protecting our females here. We're interested in cherishing their growth. And so men... uh, in our body right now, I hope you understand, like, this is a difficult task. And what I see happening most of the times in this particular age group is you're really interested in you getting yours and not the growth of these precious daughters of Christ. So I want to give us an opportunity right now to respond to this truth. If you're a girl right now, I just want you to stand. Girl, young woman, woman, if you're a female, just stand up. Listen, we love you here. You may not know the the struggles yet or the joys yet or the journey yet, but you will. Okay. And I want to pray right now that God will prepare you by putting in your heart, even right now in this very second, a desire to pursue him like you never, ever have. Listen, my sisters, the pursuit of Christ, you don't understand the weight of how much that takes care of. When you're walking in step with the Spirit, oh my goodness, the discernment that comes, the wisdom that comes, the ability to look at poser dudes and just say, not a chance, all of those things come when you're walking in step with the Spirit. When you're out, in step of, the, when you're out of step with the Spirit, then all of a sudden a guy who, who should not be spending any time with you all of a sudden looks attractive. So dudes, here's what we get a chance to do right now. We get a chance to pray for our females here. We get a chance to ask God to do a great work in them, okay? So men, wherever you're at right now, I'm going to give you a little bit of time just to speak out prayers over these precious daughters in this room. Let's ask God to do a work in them, even to stir repentance in them, some of them married and and really struggling with the submission uh, biblical concept. Let's pray for our sisters right now. Come on, men. Speak out those prayers. God, help my friends in here, my sisters. I pray right now that they would cherish your word. I pray right now, God, that they would um, watch the sin of self-serving image be crucified on the cross of your son. I pray right now, God, that you would purge out of them the selfish desires and motives to make their name great. And instead, God, I pray that they would long to make yours known in their life. I pray tonight through your son Jesus that you will give them a desire to pursue you like they never have, God. I pray that the things of this world will become very clear and that they would uh, flee from the darkness, cling to the light, 
and that you will give them discernment in all things, God, for those yet to be dating or yet to be married. I pray, Lord, that you will provide the man that can, God, be submitted to because of their submission to you. I pray for the women right now, God, who are in relationships that they need to run far from. Give them courage tonight. Give them courage and strength. God, for the women being abused, help them know that they don't have to stand one more day in the verbal, the physical, the sexual abuse. They don't have to do it, God. Give them courage to run to you. Please, God, sanctify our sisters. Grow our sisters. We thank you, Lord, in your awesome name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Now, all this ends. Man in this woman, or man in this room, woman in this room, all of this ends with one powerful text from James chapter 4. Ultimately, submission isn't a woman to a man. Ultimately, the issue for you and I is submission to God. And here's what I see happening right now, my friends. I just want to bring you into my, my journey. What I see happening is God um, calling me to submit to him, giving me poignant direction, and often what I see my response is instead of submission, I see my response as suggestion. Uh, yeah, God, but, uh, but God, you don't, you don't understand my struggles. See, I'll submit to you, God, but after you listen to these three suggestions that I have, that will morph your plan to be way more beautiful than what it started as. So God, I'm just going to drop them right here in the suggestion box. You think about them, and then we'll talk here in a few days, God. And then when you want, then we can have that conversation. And I'm sure, God, then you will have submitted to my desires and my dreams and my plans. I'm absolutely tired of living life like that. Pointing my finger in the heavens, ask God to listen to my suggestions. There's a difference between suggestion and prayer. Please hear that. Prayer often becomes before seeing what God would submit, uh, what causes to submit to, and then prayer comes in the courage to submit to what we know to be true. There are things very specifically I believe tonight that you have been hearing for a long time, maybe days, maybe hours, maybe weeks, and God has said, listen, submit to this like I have this plan for you. I want you to uproot here and I want you to, to move into this neighborhood. No matter what the educational system, no matter what you, no matter what the preconceived notion is, I want you to move into this neighborhood and I want you to get to know your neighbors and I want you to live on mission. Hey, I want you to completely like start eating lunch and walking out of that, that hallway that you exist so closely and uncomfortably. I want you to start reaching out. I want you to submit to me in this way. Some of you are being called to change majors and move overseas. And even in the simple, some of you in submission are called tonight to spend hours in his word cherishing his character. And yet we're like, but God, you don't know how tired I am. But God, you don't know my struggles. But God, why would I submit to you? And God says, let me tell you why. Because I'm your king. Because I've sacrificed for you, because I love you, and because in my sovereign plan and hand, 
I've called you my son and daughter. So submit to me, not out of burden or fear, but out of reverence for who I am in your life. What if tonight that thing that has caused such a a disjointedness between our relationship, what if tonight we said, God, please do whatever you need to do to cause my need to be bent in humility to submission to you. So ladies, you will submit to your husbands as your submission to God finds its rest. Men in here, you will be respectable men who are worth submitting to as you submit to God first. So let's stand together and ask God to do a work in all of us. Father, we're wrestling with a lot of things right now. I'm just confessing my own sin. I pray right now, God, that you will put a desire in every single one of us tonight as brothers and sisters in this room to be the we together, to journey together through this difficult task that you've called us to, but that you would lead us, guided by your spirit, into all truth. So God, for the women, for the women here who have been pursuing themselves, convict them tonight, stir repentance in their heart, and replace it with the fruit of the spirit. God, for the men in here who are dishonorable and disrespectful and completely self-serving, I pray right now, God, that you will absolutely force your hand of submission on their shoulders and allow them to know that it's a loving Father saving them from years of pain. Tonight, God, give us courage as the we Give us courage to surrender and submit.